0: This is the Stockton-San Joaquin County Public Library.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Dark Fascinations. I'm Brianna, and as always, with me is... Jody. And this is a podcast all about uh, fiction books and the true crimes that inspired them. Uh, this month, we read a teen book, for the first time on this podcast, called All These Bodies by Kendari Blake. So All These Bodies is maybe fantasy. Who knows? Definitely based on true crime. Um, about murders called the Bloodless Murders or the Dracula Murders that were based on both the Charles Starkweather, Carol Ann Fugate spree murders that took place in the 50s and the Clutter family murders that have been made infamous by Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. Jody, would you give us a rundown on the true crimes that inspired all these bodies? Of course,
2: this is just like a real general overview because there's a lot of information about both. And since we have two, we'll just keep it simple. The Clutter family um, happened in 1959 in rural Kansas. Herb Clutter, age 48, Bonnie Clutter, age 45, Nancy Clutter, 16, and Kenyon Clutter, 15, were brutally murdered in their home. Herb Clutter was found in the basement, stabbed, throat slashed, and shot in the head with a shotgun. His hands were bound and his mouth was taped shut. In an adjoining room, um, his son Kenyon was also bound, gagged, shot in the head. Upstairs in separate rooms were the bodies of Bonnie. And Nancy, who had also been bound and shot in the head. Richard Hickok and Perry Smith were um, in prison, and they were told by another prisoner who had supposedly previously worked for the Clutter family that Herb Clutter was a very wealthy man and that he um, kept money stashed in a safe in his house. So when Hickok and Smith um, were um, both out of prison, they immediately started making plans to rob the Clutters. They went to the Clutter home where four of the six Clutter family members happened to be home. Um, They woke up the family, searched the house, but they soon realized there was no safe full of money. Um, Herb gave them what little cash he had, um, but they still ransacked the house, getting no more than $50, a pair of binoculars, and a transistor radio. And then they ultimately executed the four Clutter family members. Um, Then they immediately fled the area. They went all over the place. They even lived in Mexico for a bit, but they ended up coming back to the u.s and were eventually caught in nevada they ended up confessing and stood trial in 1960 the jury found them guilty and recommended the death penalty and they ended up living on death row in leavenworth for five years um, in 1965 they were executed by hanging there's many different variations of the story and the little details um, and the remaining um the surviving members of the clutter family um do not like to speak of any of this, and they've even chastised Capote for his exaggeration of the whole story. So that's the Clutter family um, crime in a nutshell. But there's many movies and documentaries and books, if people are interested in continuing that. Now we turn to Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate, another um, teen love tragedy like last month's um, with the Richardson families. So in 1958 in Nebraska, 18-year-old Charles Starkweather, a James Dean wannabe, was dating, he started dating Carol Ann Fugate when she was just 13. Charles dropped out of high school and worked at a warehouse near um, Carol Ann's school so he could see her every day. Um, He taught her how to drive, and then she ended up crashing Um, into another car, but Charles' dad paid the damages. And then they ended up getting into a huge altercation and ultimately kicked him out. So then Charles had to get a job, another job, and he began working as a garbage collector, which he used the garbage route to plot and plan different robberies. But in 1957, Charles tried to buy a gift on credit for Carol Ann at the service station. And when the attendant refused, Charles left enraged. And then he later returned and murdered Robert Colvert at the the service station attendant. So this would become his first victim in um, his killing spree. Later claimed that he believed he had transcended his former existence and was then above the law. Um, So this was the beginning of the end, basically. In 1958, Charles visited Carol Ann at her home. And not finding her home, he argued with her mother and her stepfather, who told him um, in no uncertain terms to stay away from Carol Ann. And then Charles brutally murdered Carol Ann's parents and her two-and-a-half year old sister. Once Carol Ann came home, she helped him hide the bodies behind the house. And then they remained in the house um, with her dead family members for six days. They put a sign on the door that said they were all sick with the flu. So when friends and family came looking um, and stopped by for wheelchair checks, they just um, denied them entry and kept everyone away. Um, But Carol's grandma became very suspicious. And then she sent the police. And when the police came the couple ended up fleeing so then they drove to a farm of a family friend and charles ended up killing that family friend and then they fled that area abandoned their car ended up picking up a local teen couple offering them a ride and then ultimately killing them this was their their spree went on um with ended up being 11 victims including the first victim of the service station attendant once they were captured their stories kept changing Fugate has always maintained that she was a hostage and a victim. Um, however, the judge didn't buy it as she had so many opportunities to escape. Um, they were both convicted and Charles received the death penalty and Carol Ann a life sentence. Charles was executed in 1959 by the electric chair and Carol Ann was ultimately paroled in 1976 after only serving 18 years. There have been many books proclaiming her innocence as well as her her stepsons and family members of victims supporting her innocence claim, and she's been fighting for a pardon ever since she was released from prison.
0: Stressing over homework? Live help is available at tutor.com from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. Other resources, including practice tests, are available 24 7. For more information, check out our website at ssjcpl.org.
1: Which is, crazy. Which is bananas. And I think, like, the one of the craziest things is their spree was only, I mean, like, not even two months long. mm um, And they killed 11 people. Well, and then the clutters, I mean, they, one night, they killed all, almost all of the family.
2: Yeah, there's, the Charles Starkweather and Caroline Fugate spree caused a lot of terror, though, because there was no pattern to their victims. different. Different Mm -hmm. classes, different genders, different, you know, all that stuff. So there was no, nobody knew what was going to happen next. It's crazy. And has maybe even
1: more movies based on it. The Starkweather and
2: Carolyn Fugate. Yes. It's crazy how they, all these people were dating like so young. Yeah. I mean, she was 13. Yeah. Carolyn Fugate was
1: 13. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The Richardson, she was like 12 or something. Wasn't she at the, in the beginning I don't even remember. Yeah. Yeah, she was 13. It's crazy. It is crazy. And then she's still, as of, the last thing I could find was as of 2020, that Caroline Fugate was still trying to fight for her pardon. That was the last Um, thing I
1: found, too, in 2020. She's 76, I believe, and still trying to be pardoned, unsuccessfully pardoned.
2: Yeah, just, I mean, she did have a lot of chances to escape. I mean, family member after family member, even I believe um, then her stepfather's boss come by at one point because um, it was mm-hmm. unlike the stepfather to not show up for work. So she could have signaled any of those people that she was in trouble and being in the house. For Including six days, their,
1: yeah. And they, I think it shows like a certain level of, of callousness as well, that they put the sign saying, you know, everybody's sick with the flu. Don't come in on the mm-hmm. front door
2: of the home. Hmm. Well, yeah, and then he didn't. He even left to get groceries or something, so she could have left during that and, time. if she, Yeah, and she they was, were on the road know, for like two months. Yeah, she could have left or signaled people at any time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, it could
1: oh. could be in his best interest, but like Starkweather has always claimed that she was a full participant in everything that happened, even though she's claimed she hasn't been.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the very first time he was interviewed, he said she wasn't. But then he just, then he, like, admitted that she was. Mm-hmm.
1: Crazy uh, that she served 17 and a half years <laughs> in prison only.
2: She's been out since 1976. I know. And she got remarried and all that stuff. And, her, the you know, the family members of some of their victims even think that she was innocent, too. And there's books about it. I, I don't know. It seems a little cuckoo. It was. Well, and it's, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's
1: kind of like this book as well, which we'll get into, but it's it's kind of like a he said, she said situation where it will probably never have a, de- a definitive answer because the only two people that definitively mm-hmm. knew one could be lying and the other one is dead. So who knows? Um, yeah. which, but I, it's like, at least Caroline Fugate's story, it just doesn't make sense because she claimed that he held her hostage, threatening to kill her family, that, and she would, didn't know that they were already dead, which I don't see how that's a possibility. If you've been in the house for six days and not one of your family members, including your toddler sibling showed up. Yeah. And yeah, or when she wondered like where they home. are.
2: Would she just think they were locked up in a room somewhere? I mean, wouldn't she just, look for
1: them? You would think, though. So. It just seems like a, it's a little bit unbelievable.
2: Yeah, just a
1: little. Not saying that there was no manipulation there, but it just—it just, it just doesn't—it doesn't add up, right?
2: I mean, I f- I'm sure, like her age, you know, had a lot to do with it. Um, You know, when people thinking like, oh, she was manipulated or or she was coerced or, but you know, at 14, you know that you shouldn't be murdering people. Just saying. You shouldn't, you know, be killing your two and a half year old sibling. You shouldn't be picking, you know, getting rides from strangers on the road and then killing them. And um, no, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, sure, you can be coerced to like, oh, we had to kill your parents because. They wouldn't let us be together, but what's the excuse for the rest of it, right? You well, know? And then
1: it's like it's pretty chilling. But you know, um, Starkweather had no last words, but he did leave a letter. And in his letter to his parents, he wrote, "But Dad, I'm not real sorry for what I did because for the first time, me and Carol had more fun."
2: Yeah, he yeah he got a little kooky there when he said he was above the above and out outside the law and he has you know found his purpose he's transcended himself you know just crazy and she you know she may have fit into that a little bit too like feeling like she's important and, and I you know like look at, me, so. look at me look at this power that I have um kind of thing well, I I mean I definitely
1: think so especially this like older boy who's like really modeled himself after like a James Dean rebel without a cause character is taking an interest in you but also I'm sure in a way like she has power over him because given all the research we've done he wasn't like the brightest of students Mm -hmm. shall we say so like the Richardson family murders where that guy also wasn't tested as being the brightest of students and was, t- you know, could have been yeah. manipulated. Again, not that dark wasn't fully complicit, but I think that Caroline Fugate was also complicit and much more so than what she's claiming.
2: Oh, for sure. A thousand percent. That's why in the two to keep still fighting for your pardon like you're almost you're 80 years old at like this point like like you know you got out after 18 years it's not like you've been in there for you know 50 years right but, you know you've had a whole life at this point so and I think like why a, keep pushing it
1: right and that's another crazy thing it's like yes she only had she was only in prison for 17 and a half years but that's older that's a longer time than she was
2: on Earth,
1: when she committed uh, these
2: crimes, uh huh. No, it's all insane. It is crazy, but he, de- yeah, he definitely he got um because even like his workplace was saying like he wasn't the best worker. You had to tell him things several times for him to comprehend what to do and to get it done. Um, but you know he was tight with his brother. And was it Carol Ann's Um, Mm brother-in-law? They were all friends. I also
1: thought it was crazy that they were introduced because he dated her older sister. He, Starkweather, (laughs) dated Carol's older sister.
2: I know. And then the brother-in-law is the one that introduced them to Carol Ann. He thought he'd like her. And even though she was only 13, he he told Starkweather that she seems older. So, I mean, that's just inappropriate but a lot
1: (laughs) which I guess is as good of a segue as any to talk about this book where the complicity of the main female subject is kind of also a crossroads of did she or didn't she um but all these bodies is no we won't all these bodies is heavily heavily based on Charles Starkweather and Carolyn Fugate it, it I mean it does have a clutter family murder base too, but I would say a majority of this, if you're looking more for the in cold blood aspect, you won't get it. A majority of it is based on Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate. Um, so the I mean this book mainly has two two main characters that we really need. Well, I guess three. One's kind of a shadow, but the two main characters are Michael Jensen. He is the local sheriff's oldest son. Um, They live in Deer Falls, Minnesota. And he is he's an aspiring journalist and he's been following these all of these crimes that are in all of the local papers in the Midwest um, called the bloodless murders or the Dracula murders. Where all of these people are seemingly randomly getting killed um, and all of the blood in their bodies being drained. And nobody knows where the blood is going, what the motive was for killing all these different people, or who on earth can be doing it. So already there's kind of like a supernatural tinge, because like these bodies are completely bloodless, but there's no blood found at the scene. And it seemingly would be impossible for them to be killed at a different location and and left in the location they're found. Um. I think there's a couple different ones. There was a gas station attendant who ran away at the same place where he was seen just like 15 minutes before and then two nurses who were found in their car. So it would be somewhat unfeasible for them to have been killed in another place and move back to where they were found in such a short span of time. But he's been following all of this. Um, and then I feel like two... Especially in in, the, in Cold Blood, and I think in the 50s Midwest, there was like a feeling of, of safety, um, because the Midwest was considered, you know, like a very friendly part of the world. It, it, anything can happen anywhere, basically, is the point. But the, the, these bloodless murders finally come and find their way to his small town in Minnesota, and he gets kind of stuck in the middle of it, Michael. Um, Obviously, his father is the sheriff, so they have another murder. This is where the Clutter family murders come in. But the Carlson family, the entire family, except for the two-and-a-half-year-old baby, are murdered in their home. Uh, All the blood drained from their body. And they are slit at the throat. And then I think also at the thigh, at least the Carlson murders. And so the Michael... he knew the oldest son, um, Steve, and, like, kind of, like, knew him in the way that they went to school together, and they were in a few related activities together, but not really knew him, knew him as a friend, Um, but he and his best friend, Percy, kind of want to figure out what happened to Steve. And Michael has, like I said, he's been following the bloodless murders the whole time and he wants to get to the root cause of it. But he also was at the scene when they found another person at the Carlson family house who was not part of the family and was covered head to foot in blood. And that is our other protagonist, Marie Catherine Hale, who is an enigma, (laughs) uh, possibly... A, an Psycho. accomplice, possibly <laughs> a perpetrator, uh, yeah. who knows? A, I guess, it's, it's really up to you,
0: kind of it,
1: victim, predator. It's kind of up to the reader to determine what they think of Maureen Catherine Hale. But she's also very young, like Caroline Fugate. Uh, she's 15 years old and she's at the scene of this crime, just covered in blood head to toe, but not a scratch on her. And it's not none of it is her blood. It's all the blood of the Carlson family. So she's taken into the police station, clearly, because obviously she has something to do with this, but she's proclaiming her innocence. She says she did not do it. And they like it starts to get obviously because it's been the whole like the whole thing talked about from coast to coast or the bloodless murders. People want them solved in any way, shape, or form. And she's she starts becoming like this femme fatale character, even though she's only 15. Um, and she and it, people are basically determined to get her to give up her accomplice because there's no possible way she could have done it alone. And there has to be some type of male accomplice. Um, and there's this other prosecutor from Nebraska who is kind of a not great dude. He's, he's really not great. Um, his name is Pilson, And he wants to take her back to Nebraska and get her to confess. And Marie Catherine Hale says that she will only talk to Michael. Um, she has taken a shine to Michael. She sees something in him, perhaps. I mean, and this is kind of, again, like up to interpretation. Does she, is she this femme fatale character? Does she see somebody that she can manipulate in Michael? Does she see in him a way she can tell the story to make it come out the best for her, manipulate the circumstances, and manipulate him into telling the story she wants? Or does she see in Michael kind of like
2: a friend-support character? If she <laughs> did. It was weird how she, like, knew, knew his name and all that. She knew a lot mm-hmm. of their names. And if she she did. Was supposed If she was supposedly new to town or just passing through or whatever she knew she knew a lot about a lot
1: she did I mean could she have just been eavesdropping it seemed like yeah. a very small police station yeah but there could there be something supernatural there yeah there absolutely could have and that's that's like that's the kind of the point of the whole book it's like you don't you never quite know what exactly is happening because kind of when you think you figured it out it you didn't <laughs> something's <laughs> changed, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. But she will only tell her story to Michael. She's bad that she will only tell it to Michael. Nobody else. She hates Pilsen. He's terrible. Um, and so they come to an agreement where Pilson will let Michael interview Marie. But it has to be recorded on tape. And then he's going to listen to the recordings afterwards. Because he's kind of like parked himself in this tiny town. Because he's determined to prosecute Marie in Nebraska because he believes Marie is from Nebraska. Um, And that's another thing is there's like no information about Marie whatsoever. Like she's not in the system. They can't find her. Nobody's reported her missing. Like they can't find any information about Marie other than she just appeared. Um, So Marie starts telling Michael this tale of uh, a shadowy figure Who Michael calls the blood drinker. Is he a vampire? We don't know. It's a possibility. Is he just a sadistic person? It's a possibility.
2: We don't know. Does he exist at all? We don't know.
1: We don't know. (laughs) But he's a shadowy figure. Obviously Michael is like what? No way. Vampires aren't real. Marie, what are you trying to do? Um, but you know, Marie, he's enraptured by Marie. There's something about her. I don't know if it's because she's got this vulnerability and he feels like he has to be like a white knight. Mm-hmm. Is Marie like using that to her advantage? Definitely. But in what way?
2: We don't know. We no. don't know. Well, I would say yes, for sure. Only because she was kind of manipulating the lady. um, Her name Nancy. Yeah. Who works in the police station. um, Really also took. Also took a real shine to Marie. And you know. Bring her food. And Michael's mom and her would bring her clothes. Help her with her Mm. hair. um, I mean.
1: For Nancy. Like there's a real reason there. Because Nancy lost her entire family in a fire. Including her daughter. So I think. For Nancy, she sees kind of a a daughter figure in Marie and wants to protect her as perhaps she couldn't protect her own daughter in the fire.
2: Yeah, it is interesting though how like Pilsen wants mm-hmm. to take her, wants to have her executed. Um, yeah, has already convicted, you know, she's already convicted in his mind. She's oh, absolutely. guilty, there's no from question. The get-go. But the people who literally found her covered in blood in the middle of, you know, their friends' family rooms who were all mm-hmm. murdered have really just taken a very protective role of her. Even the sheriff and the deputies, you know, are pretty protective of her and trying to keep her pills in and trying to help her. They're not saying she's innocent, but they're very protective of her. They just think that she's so young and a little Girl, and there's no way she could have been this monster that did these things, mm-hmm. even though they saw her and took her from the covered scene in blood. covered in blood and saw you know the bodies of their friends. Yeah, um, it's just interesting. And Pilsen, who has no personal connection, you know, no skin in the game to say, mm-hmm. um, he's just because so, he, he wants to be famous. Well, that yeah, there's that, but I'm like with the victims and he's already like she's gonna be put to death don't believe anything she yeah. says don't let her bat her eyes at you michael and manipulate you mm-hmm. um and which perhaps, she does perhaps therein lies the reason is
1: you know the sheriff and the jensen's they all had a connection to the carlsons and they want to find the truth like mm-hmm. they want to find the truth of what happened and pilsen just wants a byline. Like, he just right. wants to be famous. He is no safe. He doesn't care about the victims. He doesn't care about Marie. He really only cares about himself.
2: Well, and they did find, didn't they find some evidence from other scenes that ties to her with, like, her footprints Mm-mm. or something like that? No, oh, I thought they No, did.
1: and that's one of the reasons that they get to keep her in the small town is because the town, it has, they have the most evidence tying her to the crime. Well, she was actually there. Well, because she was found, yeah. But the other the other crimes, they don't have any anything to tie to anybody. Like, there's no fingerprints, there's no hair, there's no footprints, there's no nothing. Oh, and that's that another... Not at this one. I think you're thinking of a later
2: one. Oh, Maybe.
1: But not not at the ones that we know of so far. There, and I think that kind of adds another little supernaturally twist. Is like these all these bodies are completely drained of blood, but there's no evidence whatsoever pointing to any perpetrator.
2: Yeah, and they didn't have like they weren't covered in like defensive wounds. They no. weren't. They didn't have ligature marks from being bound.
0: Their mm-hmm. toxicology
2: reports came back clean, so they weren't drugged. Um, so how, how were they killed? How did they just lay there and be killed? Because some of them weren't just alone. Um, no,
1: they, some of them were multiple, uh, with somebody, with a friend or another family member. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's in these little details that you kind of start to see slip ups of the truth. Um, so Marie pretty much immediately tells Michael what the murder weapon is, which is a straight razor, which she said most of the time. She did not say all of the time. And she said that this guy, all of the blood is disappearing because the killer, the shadowy man, the blood drinker, whatever you want to call him, is drinking the blood. So points to vampire. But and she says that he has he likes to play these games with people or he you know, he has these like vampiric powers where he can put you in like a hypnosis state. So you'll do whatever he wants. But that kind of proves to not be true. Like the guy at the gas station, he ran away. Or one of the students was writing in his textbook and throwing them out the window, saying, "Please help me! I'm being abducted." So there's, there's again, it kind of, its like this. It's this—is it, isn't it? it, it it's very—it's like up to you to kind of decide, like where, where you want the story to go, what kind of answers that you want to yep. to solve this this case.
2: Well, yeah, because if if there isn't a shadowy figure. How did this 15 year old slip of a girl subdue all these people mm-hmm. enough to let them get them to let her kill them?
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's, it's kind of the thing too, where it's like, you know, if, if it's a vampire, if it's a monster, that's almost better than it being a real person type mm-hmm. of deal. Um and I I think I do think that is something that Kendari Blake is trying to convey in the book is is sensationalism. Cause this book we were taught Jody and I were talking about it before we started, but it's very open ended. Like you're not really gonna get a definitive answer. Um, and you're not gonna get like a sensationalized killer in this book if that is what you're looking for. That's I think that's why there are so many mixed reviews of the book, is because that you're not going to get if that's what you're looking for you're not going to get it
2: yeah there is no answer there is no resolution
1: there is no grand scheming sensational murderer in this book there just isn't one um but anyway it's back on track <laughs> <laughs> so it's marie is kind of telling michael She's giving him little tidbits, but she's not really giving him any answers. And he keeps pressing her and pressing her, and she just kind of starts getting frustrated with him, but also she needs him. Like, she needs him to keep coming back, so she's giving him these tidbits of information. And she tells him this story, which is important, and we'll come back later, about a young girl named Mercy Brown in New England in the 1700s, whose family claimed that she was a vampire, and... Um, after she died, her father had them exhume her, take her heart, burn it, and feed the ashes to her brother. Um, And it turned out that this little girl wasn't a vampire at all, but had tuberculosis instead. (laughs) Um, And again, I think that I think (laughs) that's like the whole theme of the book is like, what are you going to believe? Like, are you know, what do you want to believe? What is, you know, what is believable? What's not believable? Would it, is it easier to believe in the sensationalized monster? Is that, you know, like what path are you going to take? And, and that's, I think that's like the core theme of this book is that there really are no sensationalized monsters. They're just people. Who do monstrous things. Thanks. Um, but she like in during all of this, Michael and Marie are getting closer and closer together. Michael is like really, really enraptured by Marie. There's just something about Marie that he finds fascinating. Um, he also wants to protect Marie. Like, he has a serious, like, white knight syndrome going on where he needs to protect Marie because Marie is, she's got this tough girl act, but she also has, like, an extreme vulnerability and inner core that she's been seriously hurt that he is very drawn to. And again, is she manipulating him? Is she not? You don't, I mean, we, she is, and she isn't.
2: Well, yeah, because the more she, the longer she keeps talking to him, the longer she gets to stay in Mm -hmm. uh, this little town versus being taken to Nebraska and put on trial. Yeah, so she does take advantage of that and draws it out. And
1: yeah, well, I mean, she's already been convicted by the court of public opinion uh, as guilty. Like Pilsen wants to put her in the electric chair, but she's already chosen she's going to be hung. So she feels like she's got one up on him. But they I mean this whole time everybody's pressuring Michael to find out who her like who she's helping. Who is the mastermind behind the bloodless murders? Because it can't be Marie, right? So who is this mastermind? Who is this shadowy figure? And then creepy, maybe supernatural things start happening where they start seeing these like inverted crosses carved in trees. Um Michael feels like he's being watched all the time. Uh, one o- on Steve's gravestone where these kids take Percy, Michael's friend and Michael and plan to like really rough them up because they think that Michael has like given up on Steve and the Carlson, and he's fully sided with Marie and not, you know, the family and the people that they loved and they knew. And there's, the same inverted cross is carved all into Steve's headstone. Inexplicably, nobody knows. And then Michael sees a shadowy figure one day in uh, his house. But, you know, he also has been like burning the midnight oil, shall we say, reading all of these books about vampires. So is it like a Marie induced hysteria? Or is he actually seeing these things?
0: Browse from a great selection of fiction and non-fiction digital items in Hoopla. Hoopla also has a wide variety of popular comics for all ages. Library card holders are allowed four checkouts a month. Enjoy magazines and the great courses unlimited with a binge pass. A Hoopla binge pass gives you seven days of unlimited access to great online content with a single borrow. To get started, visit ssjcpl.org. <laughs>
2: Again. again you
1: never know <laughs> it's up to you to decide <laughs> we don't know are do these things really exist or is he does he have kind of like confirmation bias where he's really starting to believe Marie. he's starting to believe that there is this vampire character and now he's manifesting and confirming what he already believes is that it can't be Marie. It's the vampire. And Mar- so he does ask Marie why she would go along with the vampire, right? Kind of like the whole thing with Starkweather and Carolyn Fugate. Like, why would she go with him? Like, what's the point? And at least for Marie, she says that she basically wanted to get away from home. She wa- She didn't want to be a victim anymore. She really wanted to live. And she wanted to live forever. And that's why she went with this blood drinker, this vampire, per se, shadowy man. does he if he exists, we don't know. And that but that's the reasoning why she went with him is she wanted to get out of her terrible home environment and have immortality in a certain way. And that the blood drinker is pressuring her. Into drinking the blood of these victims so that she can become a vampire, and that's that's what she's telling Michael. And so, Pilsen finally uncovers more evidence, and he finds out that Marie is in fact from Nebraska. Um, she's not who she says she is. I cannot remember her true last name, however. It's Muse. terrible things. Muse. Thanks, Jody. <laughs> Jody's the researcher on this. I just speculate. (laughs) (laughs) But they they find her name. Her real name is Marie Catherine Muse. And she is indeed from Nebraska. And they find out that she lived with her mother and her stepfather. And that her stepfather uh, has been terribly abusing her for a long, long time. Um, And that they believe that this blood drinker, this shadowy figure, at least Pilsen does, is the stepfather. Uh, and he's convinced more than ever that he needs Marie to give him up, to tell him where he is. And he's on a mission to find the stepfather and for Marie to give give him up. Um, and is insisting that it's not him, that it can't be him. And she tells Michael it can't be him because the blood drinker and Marie murdered her mother and her stepfather before they left, just like Charles Starkweather and Caroline Fugate murdered her and. Carol's entire family. Um, and she, like, she really has some power over Michael. And, like, seemingly over this entire judicial system, because she gets the FBI to take <laughs> Michael to Nebraska to uncover the bodies of her mother and her stepfather, and she will only tell Michael where these bodies are. She will not tell anybody else. And they go along with it. They take Michael to Nebraska uh, with Pilsen and the FBI. And Marie tells Michael uh, where the bodies are. And they're in this like, weird old house off the beaten track in the middle of nowhere under the floorboards. So they go there. Nurse, they, you know, pry up the floorboards. They find her mother, but no stepfather. No stepfather is found. They do find the body of an older woman who owned the house, but no stepfather. And Marie seems incredulous. Like she's, she can't believe that he's not there because this supposed shadowy man blood drinker promised to kill her stepfather too. And again, that's that's kind of like what what do you believe? This, you know, in the book, you have to decide like, did he die? Is he the blood drinker? Does the blood drinker exist? Is it has it been Carol and the stepfather this whole time? We don't know. There's no definitive answer. Uh, I think that it probably was the stepfather the whole time. Um, I don't think there is any any, mo- any quote unquote monster in the story. I think it's just monstrous people. And I think that, I think that Marie really wanted to get away from her her family, and maybe saw this as a chance to escape, um, or perhaps was taken hostage, like Carolyn Fugate claimed she was taken hostage. It's hard yeah. to say. It's hard to say, but
2: she did say that she loved her mom. She did say she loved her mom a lot. Yeah. So it you know if you were i don't know i feel like th- why not kill the stepfather and like try to free you and your mom then if that was the case you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm. but i mean again this whole story is told from the perspective of michael so we only get michael's version of marie we don't get the actual version of marie we don't get to hear marie's voice we just get to hear it through michael's voice and michael is in love with Marie and I think that really colors everything that he sees about Marie and then in turn what we as the readers see about Marie and we're gonna see her in her best light
2: yes they really he really they do think that the shadowy man came back to the house and dug up the stepfather and moved the stepfather Mm -hmm. replaced the flooring yeah then there's that weird thing where the That other lady that was under the floorboards is the former owner of the house. And Mm -hmm. there was a new owner of the house with that made up name. Um so it's just it all just adds to like what is going on, what's true, what's not true. Um, it's all crazy. It
1: is. Like it is crazy. And it just it just comes down to to what you believe and what factual evidence do you believe? Like Because, I mean, it's an unreliable narrator in this book. So you got to take everything Michael says and sees with a grain of salt. Like, has he just bought into Marie's, like, this mass hysteria surrounding Marie where he's willing to believe that a vampire committed all of these crimes because Marie said so? And he's, like, fully immersed himself in the lore of vampires and the story that Marie tells him. And even the story that Marie tells him where there's a quote unquote vampire it turns out to not be a vampire.
2: Well yeah, and then she will not under any circumstances name this other person just because she says it doesn't make any difference because it's not his real name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you won't be able to find him anyway because it's not his real name. You know. Right. But you could like give a description, especially if he's she out there on the loose on the loose.
1: Yeah, Yeah, she says he looks like a film star. Which, again, harkens back to Charles Starkweather and Caroline Pugate with the James Dean. Because they mention that. They mention he looks like a film star, like James Dean.
2: Yeah, so if this this supposed blood drinker um, is out on the loose, you know, they would like to know so they could (laughs) prevent some other massacres and murders and... um, You know, Michael doesn't seem too concerned about that either, really. No. Even though there was that bloody bloody snake attached to his front door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all these weird things that keep happening. Even in the very beginning when they went to the original crime scene and they had the dogs. And the dogs got freaked out um, by something in the woods. And the dogs ran away instead of towards the noise they heard, and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's been creepy from the beginning that something more was going on. It has
1: been creepy from the beginning, and I think that's, that's one of the things where it's like, could you interpret it as being a supernatural entity like a vampire? Absolutely you can. Um, That's not how I interpret it, but you could. All of the stuff is set up to be that way, but again, I, I think that Michael just really has this confirmation bias where he is going to see what he wants to see. And mm-hmm. all of the clues and all of the things are going to point to exactly what he wants them to point to because that's what Marie said. Correct. But, so anyways, you know, they find these bodies and then Marie finally, she, I think this is maybe the one truthful thing that has come out of Marie. Thus far is she she tells Michael about um the Carlsons and what happened with the Carlsons. And it's not even the whole truth. It's just like part of the truth. Because we've already heard from the neighbor that the neighbor saw potentially three people with or two other people with Steve going into their house, right? Um, and Marie or even just two people. How many she saw two or
2: three? I think she said she saw she said them so i think she implied she that she thought it was
1: steve, steve and his girlfriend
2: and one originally she thought another person but then she said no it was just the girlfriend
1: um but that was marie and clutching um and the whole point of this was for marie to become a vampire right according to marie and so marie did kill the family she killed the mother and um the father or just the mother.
2: I believe the mother
1: and the father. Um, and she said it's because they were in this, like, hypnotic state put on by the blood drinker. Um, and so all of, she was covered in blood because she'd been drinking their blood and basically vomited it all up on herself. But I think the one true thing she said in this is that she was complicit in these crimes. Just yes. not necessarily in the in the way that she says it, but I think that's truly the only real, actual, true thing she tells Michael in this whole book,
2: and yeah. <laughs> just in these specific crimes, she was completely
1: yeah. Just just in this one, and I think it's because just in this one, because this is really the only one that that matters to Michael, because he knows this family, he he knows these people, he has a connection with these people, and I think that it's also another tactic for her to get michael even further on her side even though she's been proclaiming her innocence this whole time but it's not really her like she didn't, it wasn't her like her doing it she was forced to do it by this blood drinker according to marie course, slash, according to marie according to michael walter <laughs> michael um, but marie doesn't up getting extradited to nebraska Pilson wins um so he takes marie to nebraska uh, marie does get the death penalty for the bloodless murders and then they basically disappear um from the papers the the bloodless murders are gone they've caught their their captor they don't even remember this blood drinker that there was an accomplice it's just like it's all gone now which is crazy never caught nothing and i think i think true the like the point of this book that stamps it as confirmation bias for me for michael is marie leaves him this letter um after and so you know she's she's gonna be hung and she says that she's gonna be a vampire she's gonna come back from the dead and she wants michael to go to this prison dig her up in this prison graveyard and burn her heart. And so Michael says, okay. So he grabs his friend Percy and they're going to go do it. And they're going to dig her up and they dig her up. And Michael, like they open the coffin and Michael is just waiting for
2: Marie to wake up. Yeah, because he wants her to come back. Because he wants her to come back.
1: Because he truly believes that she's going to.
2: Confirmation, bias. <laughs> Uh it is so crazy but that's I mean this I was just frustrated because I like needed more like information like oh, okay if there is no blood drinker and it's okay. just monstrous people then how and she is the monster then how is she okay. managing to kill these people <laughs> How is she doing it that? um that's like I just need more information Would you And care? if it is is it the stepfather, or is it someone else that she met, you know, along the way? Um, we don't know, because she won't give him up, because he doesn't yeah. matter. And if it is the stepfather, like, is he really drinking blood? Like, I needed more resolution. <laughs>
1: Which is fair, because, I, I mean, I do think that part of the point that Kendari Blake is trying to make is, like, they true crime is so sensationalized and we all oh, yeah. want answers. We all expect like a firm conclusion like this person did it, this is the way they did it, and this is why they did it. Like we want all of the answers. But in in real life, um besides you know what we listen to or what we watch, there are no firm answers. Like sometimes there is no reason why.
2: Yeah. Well, that, you know, there, I mean, cause there some are of these no, some of these horrific crimes are just like so unfathomable that Mm -hmm. you like you feel like you need some kind of explanation as to like why like why like why it happened how could this possibly happen because it's so horrific right I mean I get it and we do you know there everyone has a stupid uh super morbid curiosity about you know true crime especially right now you know this day and age it's you know super popular you know hence here we are but um Yeah, I get it. I mean, I get the point of the book. It's just, like, to me, I was like, ah, I need more answers. (laughs) Which is fair. I'll, I'll create my own in my head. And I
1: think that's, you know, and that's part of the point is, like, that, you know, whoever tells the story creates the story and the answers. And, obviously, Michael told the story. And he told it from... Supposedly what Marie told him, but who knows if that's true or not. We don't. I don't think so. I think some of it's true. Um, but I don't think all of it's true. Because every time you get closer and closer to like her real life, she loses it. Like yes. when Pilson finds out, you know, finds out like who she actually is, she loses it. Um because she doesn't she doesn't want anybody to see her that way. She wants to become a wholly different person.
2: Yeah, she wants a new life. And yeah, when they mention her stepfather, she gets really upset. And when yeah. she won't talk about, she doesn't want to talk about the abuse that she suffered. Um, that, you know, Pilson wants to interview her about all these, you know, horrific things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is fair. I mean, she, you know, she is also a victim. She is a victim as well. It is but... crazy, the loosey-goosey... Um like sheriff station, you know, they just like hang out, like she just gets to hang out, mm-hmm. you know, Michael's sleeping in her cell. Uh, you know, yeah. the SBI just lets this minor teenager, you know, he's not yeah, even he's eighteen, 17. just like cross state lines and like help him solve the case and like and that his parents let him do it. You know, it's just yeah. all that was but it's not
1: was. without consequences, yeah. like his dad loses his job. Um, they lose pretty much all social standing they had in this town, so it's not necessarily that consequences, but it is crazy the things and just the way Marie is able to manipulate those around her uh to get what she wants and the way mm-hmm. she wants it and the way she wants to tell this tale,
2: yeah, she I mean she definitely got her um, got her way in the end for sure. Even after, yeah. death, even after her death,
1: she's even after her death,
2: she's manipulating Michael.
1: Because mm-hmm, he fully, fully, firmly believes that the only possibility in this whole case was a supernatural one.
2: Yeah, and then even in the end, he asks his sister about you know seeing any strangers in town, and mm-hmm. she's like, you know, just the just the stranger she let in the house, you know, no big deal.
0: Yeah, who um, so she also the one that looked like a film a star.
2: Film
1: star. <laughs> It like quote unquote Marie verbatim, and I think that again that just fed more into this confirmation bias that Michael has. I mean, could could the stepfather actually be dead? Yeah, could this be some person we have no idea we have we don't know anything about we've never met in this entire book? Yeah, it absolutely could be.
2: Because she crazy, always. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which I mean, well, Marie says the whole book that this person doesn't matter. Like their name doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they look like because they'll never find them. They'll never catch him. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter.
2: Which is also interesting because is this is this person even real or has she somehow been doing this all by herself? Because she's had some kind of psychotic break from all her trauma.
1: That's a possibility. We don't know. Up to interpretation. We'd love to know what your interpretation is. Clues. I mean, you could ruminate on this for quite some time to kind of see if you can figure out where, the you know, all of these clues lead to, where you want them to lead to, just like Michael did.
2: Yeah, because she throws in, you know, true crime, right? And then there's, like, um, folklore, urban legends. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's just all one big, like... What really happened? I'll never know. I know. I did just think that was crazy when his sister is just, like, all casual. Like, oh, yeah, just the stranger I let yeah. in the house. Because well, he looked like cause, he was cold.
1: Because that was another interesting killer on the part. And Michael even says it himself. But, like, it still doesn't sink into him. But he he says that this vampire kind of just follows whatever rules this vampire wants. Like, he doesn't necessarily follow vampire rules, right? Mm-hmm. Like, of the, or the rules that we know of in the mythology of the vampire where you have to be invited in, you can't be seen, and, you know, all this stuff. The He's this life. vampire. Yeah, just follows his own rules, except for sometimes he doesn't. And, but Michael still is like, nope. hurry, I believe you.
2: Yeah, and if there wasn't this, like, vampiric person, blood drinker, then, you know, is someone just playing pranks, you know, with all these symbols carved into things, you know, and, you know, killing the snake and putting the bloody snake on the door and, um, Mm because, like, you know, the graveyard is, like, open to the public, but those, the tree on Percy's land wasn't open to the public. So, you know, someone had to sneak in to do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's like so who's doing that if there is no shadowy person and why are they just being crazy are they just trying to scare people well
1: you know Marie keeps saying this person likes to play games
2: Mm -hmm. so perhaps
1: they're just playing
2: games
1: keeping everyone on their toes yeah doesn't mean they're a vampire but it doesn't not
2: mean they're a vampire it's up to whatever
1: you want to believe
2: And if you just, you know, are a monster, human, who just likes to drink human blood, are you a vampire or are you just a crazy person? (laughs) Cue the X-Files (laughs) please.
1: It could go a lot of different ways. It really could. It really, really could. This one's really open to interpretation, more so than any of the other books that we've read so far.
2: Yes, for sure. For
1: sure. That was All These Bodies by Kendari Blake. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it. And we hope you join us next month. It is officially spooky season next month. And we are going to be reading a very spooky book uh, for the spooky season. We are going to be reading My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, which is based on the 80s Satanic Panic. So we hope you join us then.
2: Bye.
0: To stay up-to-date with library news, follow us at SSJCPL on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at ssjcpl.org.